0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 3. The text is actually going to be 14 through 18. Preachers are like ladies, we may change our mind. But I'll read uh, verse six through verse, verse 6 through verse 18 of Jeremiah chapter 3. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree. And she was a harlot there. I thought, after she has done all these things, that she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, She polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree, and you've not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord. For I'm a master to you. I will take you one from a city and two from a family. And I will bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. who Will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord. They will no longer say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will not come to mind, nor will it. They remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. Nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel. And they will come together from the land of the north, to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let us pray. We bless your name, holy, triune God, Jehovah our Lord. We thank you for this occasion that brings us together in your providence, and we ask now that your spirit, who inspired these words, would illumine them, but even more so, Grant us his spiritual power, that we might actually hear Christ, the great prophet, speaking to us through his word. We ask this in his name. Amen. I want to thank Michael and the elders for the opportunity of being here uh, with you for this wonderful occasion. I was reflecting that uh, I was here uh, for Pastor Dion's installation Uh, he said it was seven years ago, gave a charge to him. And so it's a little extra special to come back. But I I am particularly thankful to be here uh, because of what I have seen in this young man. Uh, From the first couple of meetings with the Presbyterian Commission, when he was asked to uh, pursue his education and to uh, broaden his uh, training, his humility uh, was exemplary and his diligence, if possible, more exemplary. And it's been a pleasure to watch you grow uh, during these years, and my pleasure to be here tonight. You know, these uh, services are special to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, In the first place, uh, I think that there's nothing more glorious than a Presbyterian ordination installation service, marked with dignity and, and gravity and reflecting the history of the church throughout the centuries. And so I enjoy these services, whether I'm sitting where you are or whether I get to participate in them. They indeed are a grand part of our tradition. But even more so, I enjoy these services because what we are experiencing tonight is an answer to prayer, not just Michael's prayers that he get here. No, the prayers of the church, what Christ said to us in the gospel That the harvest is plentiful. We need to plead with the Lord of the harvest to raise up harvesters. And every time that we have an ordination service, the Lord Jesus Christ is answering that prayer. It's a glorious thing to see and to experience. And it's light of that that I direct your attention tonight to uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 14 through uh, 18. You perhaps notice in the reading, it's a quite a remarkable passage. It's a passage of judgment, a passage of God's indictment on Israel, which really begins earlier than chapter 3, and a greater indictment on Judah, who even in the days of Josiah had kind of a feigned repentance that he here calls deception. And yet in the midst of this declaration of judgment, God does something that he does throughout the prophets And that is, he extends his arms in a call of mercy. And our text uh, is a reason that God's giving to encourage uh, Israel and Judah to repent. Now, in this text, uh, Jehovah God is uh, promising that he will build his church on the basis of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through the work of the gospel ministers. Jehovah God is promising to build his church on the basis of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through gospel ministers. And I want to direct your attention to the text under two headings, God's promise to build the church and God's promise to build the church through faithful gospel ministers. Now, the promise to build the church itself is couched in the broader promise of restoration. God is telling them even... uh, As the northern kingdom has already gone into captivity, and Judah later, uh, in the ministry of Jeremiah, will go into captivity, God is saying that he's going to bring them back to the land. Now, initially, it's going to be like a trickle. As it says in verse 14, Return, O faithless sons, declares Jehovah, for I am a master to you, and I will take one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So under Cyrus, they would begin this restoration, this return from exile. Initially, it was small. We read in uh, Nehemiah and Ezra that about 46,000 people were all that came back. You remember when they entered the land the first time, it was 2 million probably at least that entered the land. Now it was 46,000, almost literally one from that city in captivity and two from Another family. But God said, I will bring them to Zion, one of the names of the Old Testament church, because of the center of the church, Zion, the holy hill of David. But you'll notice that he says in uh, verse 16 that in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land. So it begins as a small return, this new exodus handful. But he's saying now that chronologically, and and, and this text, that's very important, there will come a time uh, in the process when God is greatly going to multiply them. And so he's promising to restore and build, in the first place, the old covenant church. But notice, as he does so, he promises that then he will bring through them and for them his Messiah. In verse 16, he says, It will be in those days when you are multiplied and increased and in the land declares Jehovah, they will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah. It will no longer come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. Now, if you know anything of the Old Covenant history, you will understand the great attachment the people had to the Ark of the Covenant. It was literally Jehovah's throne. It was in the Holy of Holies. And Jehovah himself, the triune God, symbolically sat on that throne through that glory cloud that filled both the tabernacle and the temple at their dedication. And there Jehovah was enthroned in the midst of the church the ark was the center the focus of their piety that's why it was so glorious to go up to jerusalem for the various festivals uh, to be in the very special presence of uh, jehovah god and thus when they went into captivity and the temple was destroyed the ark was destroyed now, there's some that think that it actually wasn't it was brought back but it, it seems that the ark was destroyed and perhaps that's one of the reasons for the mourning when later then when they returned from captivity and, and the foundation of the temple was laid and it's being built and there was weeping as much as rejoicing, weeping because they remembered something, not just the glory of Solomon's temple, but the spiritual glory of the Ark of the Covenant that was in that temple. It was a great grief to them for the rest of their existence as an old covenant people that they had lost the Ark. And that's what's so surprising now about this language. He says that they will no longer say in mourning the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah. And notice how he emphasizes this. It will not come to mind. They're going to quit thinking about it. Nor will they remember it. They will not look back longing for the Ark. Nor will they miss it. Nor will it be made again. Now, what is the significance of this? What is it that's going to replace the ark? That which the ark pictured and typified. In verse 17, at that time, when there's no longer a missing of the ark, they will call Jerusalem the throne of Jehovah. And that, you see, is a veiled reference to the true ark of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah, whom the people longed for. The Messiah, the primary reason that God would bring them back to the land in order to accomplish all that he had prophesied concerning him. He is the throne of Jehovah. His throne was established initially and geographically in Jerusalem. But in that process, Jerusalem now fulfills her role no longer to be the geographical center of the church, But she, too, was a type of the worldwide church of Jehovah God. You know, the uh, Old New Testament scriptures pick up on this concept. And uh, Paul tells us, for example, in uh, Galatians chapter 4, he makes a contrast uh, in verses 25 and 26 between physical Jerusalem and the church. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai. In Arabia and corresponds to present Jerusalem. She's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. And there, Paul is picking up on a theme out of the Psalms that Zion and Jerusalem were types and pictures of the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the same thing then in Hebrews chapter 12. Again, a contrast between Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, but not physical Jerusalem. Verse 22, but you've come to Mount Zion, which is prophesied there in Jeremiah 3. You've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, and myriads of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus The mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So what God's promising here is he's wooing the people to come back to him in repentance is that it's through that restoration that the Messiah is going to come. The throne of the messianic king is going to be established no longer just in a physical location. Notice then and here's the church all the nations will be gathered to it. To Jerusalem. And the nations are not being gathered to that place, are they? They're being gathered to the place, that which the Lord said to the woman at the well in Samaria, the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, over which he reigns. God said he will build his church through the Messiah. They'll be gathered for the name of Jehovah. Now, if you use ESV, it really misses the beauty of this Hebrew phrase, the name of Jehovah. Because you know that when the word name is used, in the Old Testament in particular, but the New as well, it refers to all that by which God reveals himself. As our catechism says, the name of the Lord is his names, titles, attributes, word, works, and ordinances. And all now that God is revealing through the church is the magnet that the Spirit of Christ is using throughout the ages to gather the nations, every tribe, tongue, and people to the church. It will be a spiritual work. He says they will walk no more after the stubbornness of their evil hearts. That was the great problem, you see, with the old covenant people. But God's covenanted in Jeremiah that he will remove our heart of stone. He'll give us this new heart, write his word upon our heart. The stubborn heart will be taken away, and the glorious work of regeneration... And God, through the Spirit, will gather his elect unto himself, but in and through the church. The glory of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is a hint here, as I understand the text, that through the gathering of the nations, there will come yet not just a small restoration, but a great gathering of the older brother. In verse 18, in those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel and they will come together from the land of the north to the land that I will give your fathers as an inheritance. not a physical land. That, too, was a picture of the inheritance given to Christ when God promised him, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, at the most ends of the earth as your possession. And here is a hint of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 11. There will come a day when the fullness of the Gentiles have been brought in, that God is going to do a great work of revival and conversion among ethnic Israel. God is going to build his church unto the ends of the earth. That's the promise on the basis of the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we leave this point, I just want you to marvel at the grace of God. Here are these wicked people. He calls them whores. They have despised him. He's already cast the ten tribes off into exile. And Judah is on the eve of her exile. And what's God doing? He's throwing his arms wide open. He's pleading. He's giving reasons. He's making promises. If you'll but repent. If you but lay down your arms against me and come. And, and dear friends, this is a wonderful insight into the heart of God. And if you're here tonight... And you're not a Christian. And you know in your conscience you're not a Christian. Perhaps you have been playing the game. Perhaps you've got everybody around you um, tricked, deceived. But you know your heart. You also know that you feel the weight of your wickedness. And you wonder, is there any hope for you who played such a role of hypocrisy in the very midst of the church? Look here. Look at the glory, glorious grace of God. He said his goodness that he's compassionate and gracious and long-suffering. and He's full of loving kindness and covenant faithfulness. And he's ready to forgive sin. If you're here tonight, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll but lay down your arms against God, take him on the basis of his gospel promise, and he will receive you as he promised them. But notice as well, dear friends, the sovereign grace of God that we find here. Notice how many times in this text he says i will i will take you i will bring you i will give you he says that he then will gather the nations to his name in jerusalem and will give them the land you see that theme of uh, sovereign grace a wonderful god who's omnipotent all-powerful a god of grace but a god is able to accomplish that grace this will be very important We move to the next point. The God who sends with the word the powerful work of the spirit to take away the stubborn and evil heart and give a heart of flesh. A heart that loves God and believes on the triune God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need not fear then this sovereign, gracious God gathering The wicked and rebellious from the nations, gathering the covenant children from the womb of the church itself, is going to build his church. And he says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Now, how is he going to do this? He could do it completely on his own. He could have done it with angels. But what he tells us here, he's going to build his church on the basis then of gospel ministers. There's that promise in the first part of verse 15. Or, or in verse 15. Then, so starts the restoration, refers a bit to the Old Testament. But this is couch and all he's going to do. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. God is saying that in the midst of the building of the church, purchased by the work of Christ, that he is going to provide shepherds, a word that we get our word pastor from. Going to provide shepherds for his church who will feed the church. Now, initially and above all, the great shepherd is the Jehovah God through the Lord Jesus Christ, as he will prophesy later in Ezekiel. Verse 11, chapter 34 For thus says Jehovah God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd cares for his herd in that day. And he's among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. And there they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture. On the mountains of Israel, I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares Adonai Jehovah. I will seek the lost and bring back the scattered sheep, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. And then he says in verse 25, 23, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, Jehovah, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, Jehovah, have spoken. So he's promising himself to shepherd the sheep. But how is he going to shepherd the sheep? Through this messianic prince. This one uh, that is described here is David, uh, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the true shepherd of God's people. You know, we love Psalm 23, rightly so, but we often forget that Psalm 23 is preceded by Psalm 22. I don't just mean forget numerically. No, you remember the message of Psalm 22? It is the humiliation and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he who went to the very depths of humiliation in order to satisfy the just wrath of God against us as he hanged on Calvary's cross is then pronounced as the risen Lord of lords who will gather the nations to himself. And it's on that basis that he says, the Lord Jehovah is my shepherd. Oh, dear friends, if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ is your shepherd. He died for you. He gathered you to himself and he is shepherding you. But how then does he do this? Well, notice it's in the plural, not simply on his own But through his under-shepherds, as Peter calls them in 1 Peter chapter 5, then I will give you shepherds. Here is the great promise to the church, the church that God is building on the basis of the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's going to give shepherds, he's going to give pastors to his people. And that's what we're seeing him do here tonight. As we see again this prayer answered Christ will raise up laborers to go forth into the harvest. He will provide these shepherds. Notice here he describes to us the character of the man and the character of the work. The character of the man. Shepherds after my own heart. Godly men. Godly men. Men whose hearts beat with a passion for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and long in their own lives to exemplify that pattern of holiness to the flock of God. Now, all of us who are called to be elders in Christ's church are called in the first place to be men who manifest a pattern of godliness with a clean conscience, a clear conscience, to be able to say to God's people, follow me as I follow Christ. Not that we're perfect. We're sinners and we, we pattern for you by confession of sin, part of this whole process of being a shepherd after God's own heart. But men, we must be pursuing godliness. As pastors and future pastors above all else, we must pursue that sanctification without which no one should see the Lord. And of course, that's true for all of us, but how true it is. But the beauty is, Christ is going to provide such shepherds. He who, who calls is the one who prepares. Who prepares a man spiritually as well as gives a man gifts. And by the Spirit is working in us uh, this godliness that is essential to a faithful gospel ministry. Also to be a shepherd after God's own heart then is to share God's mind. What do we see God doing in Ezekiel chapter 34? Seeking the lost. The shepherd of Christ is to be out in the midst calling To men and women, boys and girls, to repent and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To lead the church in outreach and evangelism. But we also see the shepherd in Exodus 34, tending to the flock, feeding and providing for the people of God. And so we must have God's heart for godliness, but God's heart for people. God's heart, God's mind, God's purpose to labor with unanimity to see the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ come in our day. Then the character of the work. The shepherd, of course, feeds the flock, and here we read that he feeds them on knowledge and understanding. Ezekiel talked about those wonderful pastures. And here we see that the shepherd is administering to the flock of God the truths of God's word as Christ. Uh, says at the end of the parable of the soils uh, taking from his treasure both things old and new and distributing to people according to their capacity Uh, but it begins with feeding people on the truth of god's word and that of course implies then that the faithful shepherd is one who is a careful student of the scriptures who follows the pattern that the apostles spell out in Acts chapter 6. We must devote ourselves to prayer and the word. And, dear friends, you need to understand that, both about Pastor Dion and Pastor Michael. Sometimes you'd love to see them out and about and running here and there and doing all these things, but Christ has first called them to feed themselves, that they might feed you, that to be committed to prayer and to study and to the careful crafting of uh, their sermons and their teaching and their discipleship material and to labor then the best way to present that uh, to you and it means as we read in acts chapter 20 they also must be moving among you privately from home to home teaching pastoring it means they must be feeding you then the truths of god's word the great truths of reformation christianity as are summarized in our own confession of faith and catechism's but notice it's not just knowledge. It's also understanding. Understanding. Knowledge isn't enough. The devil's got a lot of that. He's probably the best speculative theologian there is. No, but knowledge that leads to understanding, wisdom. A knowledge then that uh, teaches us how to walk in the ways of the Lord and to be wise and godly. And that means not only must he know the word, he must know you. He must know his heart and your heart and your needs. That he might then distribute to you according to your capacities, needs, spiritually. And he will lead you to understand the life principles that he's teaching you in the word of God. Now, blessed is a people who has such a Christ-provided shepherd who will feed them on the knowledge of God's word. Lead them into the wisdom of God's word. And that's what Christ is about tonight. Raising up another man whom he has uh, worked through the presbytery, as you'll hear more of in just a moment, to bring to this point. And it's a great blessing then that Christ gives to his church, these faithful shepherds, after his own heart. Because God is building his church on the basis of the work of Christ through gospel ministers. I don't need to tell you that we live in very difficult times. The culture, remember that figure in Wrinkle in Time, the dark cloud is larger and larger and more ominous all the time as it rolls against us. And then we see so much unbelief and compromise around us in the church, and we can... Look at our own resources. Well, they're not great, are they? You got a beautiful building, but we're we're a handful <laughs> compared to Spartanburg. We're a handful. But that's all Christ ever needs is a handful. I was reading Hannah's prayer earlier in the week and it picks up there, she anticipates the language of Zechariah, don't despise the day of small things. Because it's by the spirit. Understand, dear friends, that God's building the church. You don't build the church. I don't build the church. These men don't build the church. Christ is going to build the church, and he's promised to build the church, hasn't he? Isn't that what he promises? He's promised the gates of hell will not prevail. So even as we sit here tonight in our smallness, and we see God appointing another man to the gospel ministry, and we might be tempted, well, so What? Thirteen men were used of God to turn the Roman Empire upside down. And as McShane declared, it's not greatly gifted men that God will use. It's godly men. A godly man in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, who seeks faithfully to feed the flock, is a terrible, terrible weapon. May God make all of us such terrible weapons, and may the church prosper under these weapons. And may we see the elect around us gathered by and into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. We bless your name, O Holy One in Heaven, and we thank you for the promise that you're building your church on the basis of the work of Christ And you're going to do it through gospel ministers. We thank you for this occasion. We pray, Lord, that all of us who serve as elders in your church will be quickened in our desires by what you have said here. And the church will be encouraged and bless this congregation as they continue to seek your will and to move forward. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.